Our Father, we do want to thank you that you give us words to listen to because you are God who speaks to bring us closer to yourself. We pray you please help us today to come close because we understand there'll be people who want us to go far away from you. Please help us to be wise and teach us as we study the Bible tonight. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jude. And there's no chapters, it's just one letter. Verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who do not, did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael contended with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a, blasphem a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. 
wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. Out of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are grumblers, malcontents, Following their own sinful desires, they are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these that cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. We prayed and we've read. Now we'll just think through what that uh, part of the Bible is telling us. And because it's snowy, I thought more sunshine and sea needed. And uh, here we are. Let me ask you, have you ever been in a place like this? Well, maybe not quite as nice as this, but you've had, a, you've had a swim in the sea and you want to get out the sea and get onto the beach, but as you walk towards the beach, have you felt as if the sea is almost pulling you backwards as the waves suck back out into the sea and they nearly suck you, so the sand and the and they're push, pulling you backwards as you try and walk frontwards. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, we've all been there, haven't we? Because luxury holidays just come naturally to us. <laughs> and uh, we go there all the time. And we know, therefore, how sea and suction can go together. And I want to say how that works, not just out on the sands, but in the churches. And it's very easy for people to get sucked out of church. We're going to look at uh, the reason why that happens. And it follows on from those five talks that we had. 
how the church got sucked back 500 years ago when they got things wrong. And instead of making the beach, they ended up at sea. And we're going to look in this little part of the Bible to see how actually the suction of uh, and the pullback of getting things wrong goes back more than 500 years to the very beginning of the Bible itself. And we're going to understand why people are sucked away, people who have been in churches but don't want to be part of churches anymore. And we're going to see why that is. And this little part of the Bible tells us it's because of wrong teaching and wrong teachers. First, wrong teaching. And you can see in verse 4 how wrong teaching and wrong teachers go together. Of course, wrong teachers get the teaching wrong as well. Certain people have crept in unnoticed too long ago were designated for condemnation. They're the wrong teachers. And they take the grace of God and pervert it into sensuality and that's their wrong teaching. And what essentially is uh, uh, still worth looking at is how wrong teachers can take right things and teach it wrongly. And the wrong thing that they teach is grace. That's where the mistake is made. Now grace is, as it says on the label, it is the undeserved favour of God for people who get it wrong. Okay? Teaching grace is a good thing. But it's not a good thing if we then take it too far and say, yes, grace is God's undeserved favour to people who get it wrong. Therefore, it doesn't matter how many times you get it wrong. And uh, you can go and get it wrong as much as you like. It really doesn't matter too much. Now, that is only half grace because there's something else the Bible tells us about grace. And that is not just that God forgives, but he also gives us warnings to stop us taking the wrong turning. And he gives us warnings to help us. And I've stuck a crocodile there because we're in the presence of an Australian and therefore we need to get warned Australian style. And you see that that is how uh, the Bible tells us, be careful. And what verse 5 tells us is that there are any number of desert deaths, people who died in a desert who once were safe. Our church has just studied the book of Exodus where we watched God bring a whole group of people who were once slaves and helpless and he took them into a great place of wonderful safety. And yet out of all the people that God rescued and kept safe, only three survived. The rest died because they didn't take God's warning seriously. And when the church doesn't take God's warning seriously, they get grace wrong. And when the church doesn't take God's warning seriously, it's not just the church that starts losing its way, 
but the society that the church is in starts losing its way. And the Bible talks about two places, Sodom and Gomorrah. Where we understand that there were places where people were wicked and evil. But before they got to that stage, when Sodom and Gomorrah first get seen in the Bible, way back in the very first book, in Genesis chapter 13 verse 10, it's described as a green and pleasant land. And Lot, who is Abraham's nephew, looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered like the, garden of the, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah that happened to be on that plain. It's a green and pleasant land, like a garden of the Lord. It was that good. And yet Lot, who was actually one of God's people, moved in with his family and they did nothing to stop Sodom and Gomorrah doing what Sodom and Gomorrah did. And therefore, as a result of that, one day Abraham went for a walk in the morning and all he could see was smoke. Sodom and Gomorrah were completely destroyed because God's people in that city did nothing to change that society that they were in. So when God's church loses its way, a green and pleasant land can be destroyed. And if you're here as part of the proms, you know that people sing of England as a green and pleasant land, which God can destroy if the church loses its way. It's not just the church that gets affected when we take wrong turnings about grace. The society that we're in is affected as well. And so we go from uh, uh, the wrong teaching to the wrong teachers. And as Hannah wonderfully uh, told us, uh, a, a very helpful way to remember them, uh, Mr. Perfect, uh, Mr. Pounds, and uh, Mr. Personality. Well, that's actually a really helpful way to remember them. I'm going to stick with the names the Bible gives them in verse 11. Because in verse 11, you get those three people mentioned, and their names are Cain and Balaam and Korah. Let me look at each one and see what we can learn. First, Cain and his brother Abel. Now they appear in Genesis chapter 4. And Cain was someone who wanted to bring a sacrifice to God. Therefore he very much thought that he was on God's side. Wanted to impress God by his sacrifice. But he didn't understand the God that he was wanting to impress. And so what happened was that uh, he got it wrong and it was actually his brother's sacrifice that God accepted, not his. And so uh, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 <coughs> tells us, By faith Abel, his brother, brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Why is he dead? Because Cain killed him. You see, Cain, rather than learning from his brother Abel, got irritated by him. 
and killed him. And so Cain uh, couldn't accept that his best wasn't good enough for, for God. Like Hannah's character, he wanted to be Mr. Perfect. Couldn't accept that actually his perfection wasn't perfect. And uh, the person offered a different sacrifice that really admitted that he wasn't perfect. And there's actually the sacrifice that God wanted. Now, people like that, if I can put it like this, the wrong teachers who are more like Cain, are more found today in the established churches, like the Church of England, like the Roman Catholic Church. There are people up and down who lead, telling folk that if they do certain religious things, they will be good enough for God. And what they are, are descendants of Cain. And no wonder people will want to leave churches like that, if in the end they are being misguided and unhelpfully led in this kind of way, that you've got to be perfect for God to like you. And that's one way to get grace wrong, Cain style. You don't need grace, you just do the work yourself and impress God with everything that you can do for him. The second false teacher is actually a harder person to see that he's wrong because actually he's not a bad man. He's called Balaam. Now Balaam actually is a very impressive person if you look at him in the Bible because he was someone that God really listened to. He had a fantastic reputation that whoever he blessed, God blessed, and whoever he cursed, God cursed. And so one day a king went to him and said, come on, you've got to curse God's people for me. And the king told Balaam, now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed and whoever you curse is cursed. What a fantastic reputation to be on side with God so that he would follow through on all your blessings and your curses. So why is it that such an impressive person like Balaam got it wrong? Simple answer, money. He wanted money from the king and he accepted money from the king to curse people that God had decided to bless. And in that sense, uh, he was uh, completely uh, out of, um, out of uh, line with what God wanted. So here was this strange man, highly gifted, but in the grip of God and in the grip of money. And I want to suggest that uh, the Balaam's uh, of uh, today are found in the prosperity gospel churches and in many cases you go and essentially uh, get told that um, well if you give this person money he will bless and he will curse he will do for you what you want him to do that is the direct descendant of Balaam and he's around in Pentecostal churches largely today getting people to take the wrong turning away from God as well. Only he 
But today's uh, Balaam doesn't fleece kings. He fleeces ordinary people and gets their money off them. That's the Balaam character for Mr. Pounds in Hannah's story. And the third type is Korah. You mentioned there. Now he goes way back to the time of Moses as well. He's one of the people who died in the desert. Do you know why he did that? Because he was actually another very, very impressive man. It says that over 200 leaders followed him. Moses and Aaron, who were God's leaders, well, they were left isolated next to him. He was such a powerful personality, people followed him. And that he and all those other 200 leaders also died in the desert. Because in the end, God was with uh, the two people that they thought were insignificant because they were just simply telling them what God said. As we might say today, they were just teaching what the Bible said. And those two leaders, therefore, most near and were put to one side. Everybody thought that Korah was the big man to listen to. And God puts that right by showing judgment on those uh, rebellious people led by Korah. And the Korahs today, I think, could be found in, in many house church movements where there are small congregations and one big personality telling everybody how they should live and what they should do. And the thing with these false teachers is that they bring into the church dashed hopes. And you can see that in the different things that are said in verse 12. It says there are hidden reefs in your love feast. In other words, here is a place where on the surface you look and it seems like there is love, but you go swimming in that particular water and you will get your knees hurt with the hidden reefs that they bump into and the love is only a few inches deep. The rocks are there to get you if you go into uh, that fellowship and uh, uh, spend your time there. There are hidden reefs uh, underneath uh, the love. They are shepherds who feed themselves. People who in the end are there for their own good, not for the good of the sheep. They are self-serving in that way. They are waterless clouds. It is an amazing thing to have a waterless cloud in a hot place. When you're parched and dry and thirsty and you look out on this great uh, uh, waterless ground, and you see a little cloud appear on the horizon, and all eyes are on that cloud, thinking, ah, at last we've got some rain coming our way. And as the cloud comes overhead, they all look at it, waiting expectantly, and then the cloud passes over, and not a drop of water is felt. High hopes of great things come to nothing. They do absolutely nothing for the people that they serve. They are waterless clouds. They are fruitless trees. They are uh, there to uh, look impressive, but there's absolutely no benefit 
There are church leaders who uh, have a big name uh, in uh, their uh, respective denominations and so on, and they do absolutely nothing for their local church. They've got uh, a great reputation in the committees they set at, but there is nothing that filters down into the local level of any value. They are fruitless trees. They are wild waves. They batter the morality of uh, what the Bible teaches. And uh, they bring shame on themselves as they do that, as you can see in verse uh, 13. Wild waves of sea, casting up the firm of their own shame, constantly wanting to change the direction of um, Bible teaching into um, ways that uh, in the end uh, are immoral. They are wandering stars. Now that again is uh, an incredibly sad and dangerous thing because in those days people looked to stars to give them guidance, to show them where to go. But now these are wandering stars. If a star keeps moving, you don't know where you are. You lose your bearings, you don't quite know where to go. And these are wandering stars like that. Cannot be depended or relied on to get you safely to where you should be. So it is just uh, hardly surprising, is it, that when you've got these different types of leaders in different types of churches, creating experiences that are more like painful rocks, fat shepherds, waterless clouds. No wonder people, when they've been part of that scene, then come away from it and don't want to go back into a church that might treat them the same way all over again. And we need to understand what lessons we can learn, that from, learn from that today. I want to suggest that there are three different groups that might three, learn three different lessons. First... If you're someone who's not gone to church because you're put off by people who've listened to these leaders and who come away into your office or your neighborhood and they act in ways that put you off, the whole package of Christianity, because you've seen people who ultimately are unhelpful, who've been misled, I want to suggest to you that actually just simply writing off what those poor examples stand for is not the wisest thing to do. Because if you think about it, what would you do if your child said they didn't want to go to school, they were put off school because they had some bad teachers? What would you do? You'd want to go straight to the head, wouldn't you, to see a good teacher and what he might do to help you when you're disappointed like that. When the same way the Bible tells us, go straight to the Lord Jesus. Ultimately, he is the only one the Bible wants us to follow. And so Jesus in the Bible stands up and says, follow me. And please don't follow leaders who will mislead you away from me thinking that they have more answers than they actually have. So if you're not someone who's uh, 
a Christian this, this evening, and maybe someone you're listening to this on, on tape, then it would be a wonderful thing to imagine Jesus say, saying to you, look, put aside all the others that you've met in the past. I want you to look at me. I want you to follow me. And I will help you into a new life that is different to the lives that you've met up with in the past. What happens if you're someone who has been around churches before? In some ways, this is even more relevant for you, isn't it? Because it may well be that you've been in churches in the past where unhelpful teaching has been picked up. Now, I think we need to understand that if you're feeling scarred by experiences you've had in the past, Jude would have every sympathy for you. And it is easy, isn't it, for us to think, if a person's gone to church a few times in the past before coming to this one, that somehow they've got a head start. Can I suggest, actually, the opposite can often be true. If you've come from a church led by uh, a Cain or um, a Balaam or a Korah, or Mr. Perfect, Mr. Pounds, or uh, Mr. Personality, well, friends... The first thing to do when you walk into a church like this is to start unlearning things that you picked up in the past. And until you start unlearning what you've learned, the Bible won't make sense to you. And we need to perhaps even unlearn the thinking that we're Christians. If we've come from a church that leads us to think we are because we've got certain answers. But in the end, haven't got God's grace. And we aren't being changed by God's grace. Then I think perhaps we need to unlearn everything and then start again. Hear what God says in the Bible. And then thirdly, what happens if you're a real believer? And in the end, you are someone who feels the pullback of the currents all the time. And you wonder what Jude might say to, to help you with that. But I want to suggest to you from Jude that the, the way that uh, uh, Jude would advise us is to become Bible-wise. It's only when we really understand Bible false teachers like Cain and Balaam and Korah that we are then equipped to handle their lookalikes today. And so therefore we need to learn how to become familiar with the word of the Bible, to really keep reading it until we begin to understand uh, what the Bible is telling us that will then help us when the strong currents come to pull us back. See the Bible as the great beach that uh, we want to get to. There will be currents pulling us back as we try and make our way there but it is just something that whoever you are in this church it is really important that we start learning how to spend time that we might learn bible wisdom and then we can spot uh, what um, uh, might be the sharks waiting for us back in the sea and as we do that let me encourage you, because Jude actually tells us, doesn't he, at the end in verse 24, that God is able to keep you. As you head for the Bible beach and hold on to that, 
you will see that God is well able to keep you from getting sucked in by the current. But as well as telling us that God will keep us, in verse 24, the Bible also tells us in verse 21 to keep ourselves. Keep ourselves understanding God's grace and what that really means. That we understand that God is wonderfully uh, favouring those who don't deserve him. But at the same time, God is wonderfully gracious in his warnings that help us to keep ourselves as he keeps us. And so let's uh, pray that God will help us to inhabit this world, that we might know God keeping us and keep ourselves in this world rather than to take the risks that will get us sucked back out to sea again. Let's pray for a moment that God will help us to do that and uh, that we'll take questions that you might have. Well, we've had our minute. Let me pray. Father, we do want to thank you for the truth that you give us, grace with which we might know you. And yet we confess to you our uh, ability to get grace wrong, to push it to the limits, to say it doesn't matter if we jump over the edge, that we'll be okay. Please help us, Father, to see that your warnings are gracious. Thank you that you give those warnings to keep us safe. Please, will you help us to keep ourselves safe as we understand how weak we are and how we need the warning that you give us to stay within the boundaries and the safety of your grace. Please help us to be wise and to stay learning from the scriptures that we might see the false teachers and follow the true one. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.